It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall. Jamie Dew. All right. Thank you so much. Double D, Doug Denance. You are the best, my friend, and it's great to be introduced by you each and every week. Before you enter this sacred ground, would you please do me a favor and wipe your feet? You don't know where they've been. Or, or do you? I don't know. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair, and each episode we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. That's what we're here to do this season, this our fourth season. This is our third episode of our fourth season. We have done a draft where we let you behind the curtains of who we're nominating this season. And we have nominated Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the host category. And this week, we are following that up with another Grand Slam. Because this week, we are nominating Fred Armisen into the SNL Hall of Fame uh, Tumblr. We'll see if he makes it out. But I have a sneaking suspicion he will. He's a great, great performer. He's odd. He's funny. He's committed. And he's one of a kind. He's truly one of a kind. Speaking of one of a kind, nominating him will be our very own friend, Kirsten Turnbull. Uh, She is uh, obviously a friend of the hall, a patron of the hall, in fact, Uh, She is a wonderful friend, and we're glad to have her back sitting in with Thomas. But before we go any further, why don't we check in with my friend Matt Ardill in his Minutia Minute to learn a little bit more about Mr. Armisen, some of the oddities of an odd man. So let's do that now. Matt, what's going on? Not much, not much in yourself. You know, I'm just hanging out here in the minutia minute corner, uh, just looking for some minutia. Well, I've got some for you. All right, who are we talking about today? Fred Armisen. Ooh, nice. Incredible, Fred Armisen. Uh, five foot nine, born December fourth, nineteen sixty six. He comes from a historically wild family. Um, his grandfather, who he grew up knowing as uh, Masamai Aharakuni, uh, a Japanese dancer and choreographer performed in Nazi Germany, um, turned out, and he found this out on television, on one of those genealogy shows, his grandfather was in fact Pak Hyung-in, a Korean who took on a Japanese persona during the Japanese occupation of Korea and was a spy for the allies in Nazi Germany. Oh my God. So that's a family secret that he, 
he didn't even know until he what he was a part of getting his DNA traced. In the Is that that genealogy show that uh, on HBO or yeah uh, P- PBS? PBS, PBS. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that because that's that's like I mean Benedict Cumberbatch being descended from a family of who owned slaves kind of expected that Fred Ermison being the grandson of a spy. That is a, tr- that is a interesting piece of yeah. trivia that I did yeah. not expect. Uh, but yeah. Um, now his, his father, uh, Feridun, uh, who went by Fred, uh, was born in Germany to his cool spy grandfather and a German Venezuelan woman, Hildegard, who was raised in Venezuela. Um, now, and my condolences to Fred for this, uh, he went to school with fellow SNL alumni, um, including Jim Brewer. So yeah. one of them's cool, uh, yeah. and it's it's not Jim. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> sorry, til- tilting my, ha- my hand there if, if, if uh, Jim were ever suggested uh, for the hall. Um, now, before he got his start in comedy, he worked as a paperboy at a Taco Bell and as a drummer for punk bands Trenchmouth and post-hardcore band Spark of Life, as well as in uh, in the Blue Man group on, on, at Chicago's off-Broadway production show. Uh, he is friends with Sheila E., uh, which really brings home his his Prince impersonation um, since since uh, he discovered Sheila. Yeah. Uh, and like myself and any sane person, he is afraid of heights. Uh, I mean, if we were meant to be in, be uh, up high, uh, we would never have left trees. Uh, so <laughs> Fred and I are on the same page there. Um, outside of his work on SNL, he's directed music videos for performers, including El Perro Del Mar uh, Red Hot Chili, Chili Peppers and Howling Hex. Uh, he's the uh, late show band leader. Um, after getting frustrated with the music industry, he actually filmed a self-tape auditioning for H- HBO to do interstitials, where he wandered around South by Southwest interviewing acts and concert goers, just as a variety of different characters and accents. Uh, so that's how he sort of got his start in comedy. Um, and he is veritably everywhere appearing in pretty much any project done by former castmates. Uh, his work on documentary. Now he has his show Portlandia. He has 189 acting credits, 12 writing credits, 23 soundtrack credits. And with uh, Horatio Sands launched a, a website called Mass Major, uh, which features Latino comedy voices, and was one of the people to take part in John Mulaney's intervention, yep. of which John remarked, um, "Seeing Fred, a serious Fred, means you know something is wrong." Right. So uh, yeah, he is a great cast member, a terrific friend to all his former cast members, and I'm really looking forward to hearing. Me too. Take it away, Thomas.
Yes, Jamie and Matt, thank you so much. We're so excited for this episode of the SNL Hall of Fame. We're right in the midst of season four, and this episode is our first cast member that we're going to be nominating for the SNL Hall of Fame. And we have a perfect person to nominate this cast member, somebody who I really associate with this era of SNL. We've talked about this era of SNL plenty of times with our guest today. Our guest right now is a five-timer joining us. Yes, she's waving her hands, celebrating. First five-timer, I believe, in SNL Hall of Fame history. You're making history today, Kirsten. Where's my jacket? Well, see, what what happened was just really busy summer. We meant all the best for you to get you your your Hugh Hefner smoker smoking jacket mm-hmm. and embroidered and everything. We just meant all the best, and then we just kind of carried on living our lives, and it never happened. So, uh, can I interest you in some mittens, some five timer mittens? Or you know what? I'll take slippers? the glory. I'll take the bragging rights. Actually, that's yes. that's very exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really thrilled to be the first five-timer. Yeah, so thank you. First five-timer, just a wonderful guest. So you were on with, uh, we talked about Bill Hader, Paul oh, yeah. Rudd. Mm-hmm. You've been on for, uh, who else did you do? John Mulaney? Of course. So you were our point person for them. And so on behalf of Paul Rudd and John Mulaney and Steve Martin, uh, welcome to the Five Timers Club. Thank you. Thank you very much. It feels great to be here. I am going to add that to my LinkedIn, and I'm very <laughs> proud of reaching that that pinnacle ahead of other people. Somehow I've got this competitive streak coming out. You Who do. Knew? I know. You were like, I can see you like puffed out your chest. Yeah. You waved your arms. It's a big deal. And, yeah. That was wonderful. Love the excitement here. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're talking about someone else who... I'm so excited about it. Who's going to make it into the Hall of Fame? I'm surprised this person has not already been nominated. I'm very surprised. Yeah, so we got we we at the SNL Hall of Fame. We like to space out kind of the names and the biggies, and you know, it's it's a it's a scientific process. We got an algorithm, a really delicate algorithm, going at the SNL Mm -hmm. Hall of Fame. So sometimes we do get asked that. Like it's interesting that you bring that up because like Dana Carvey. We did. Yeah. We uh, talked about him in season three, and some people were like, "Well, I'm surprised he's not." And it was like, "Well, the way we pick the nominees, you know, it's more we got a show to do, <laughs> so so it's more curated like that." But you're right. This is actually someone who we've been asked about before. It's like, why haven't you done an episode on them? So uh, of course we're talking about Fred Armisen, the 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 fantastic. I would drum roll in his honor if I could right now. Lovable Fred Armisen. Maybe in post production, I'll add a drum roll. Please. So. <laughs> he deserves a drum roll. I mean, that's appropriate, right? Exactly. With Fred Armisen. Yeah, he's a drummer. Maybe I'll get a Fred Armisen. Maybe his own drums for a drum roll. So. Uh, yeah, so Kirsten, you and I discussed, as I had mentioned, like Bill Hader's rather sturdy Hall of Fame candidacy, and Bill got in pretty easily, and he's now an SNL Hall of Famer. Uh, so along that line, we're discussing someone else today that goes, kind of goes hand in hand with Bill Hader. Same yes. era, they worked well together on screen. So what's the first thing that comes to mind about Fred Armisen to you that makes his time at SNL so memorable. Quirky. 
deadpan delivery. Mm-hmm. He was in 856 sketches at a certain point. The number is probably higher because he does so many cameos. What an all-around versatile member of the team. And I'm saying team because he's also done 21 cameos. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves him. He brought so much to the show during his season, but keeps getting asked back by all sorts of wonderful people. So there's some magic there, for sure. Yeah, he strikes me as a really uh, great teammate mm-hmm. on the show. Like, really easy to work with on the show. Very talented people loved him. I think Lauren probably loves him. And versatile is a great word for it. And I think that's something that I knew intellectually and when I was kind of going back and watching Fred's sketches, his versatility. But I that word didn't come up until you said that. But that was so well put. I definitely agree. Very versatile performer. Yeah. Actor, comedian, musician, writer, and brought a lot of the musicianship to the show, whether it's musical instruments or, you know, impersonating famous musicians mm-hmm. or just creating humorous songs. Uh, that really added an extra layer. It was an extra tool in his toolkit that not everyone has. Yeah. And Fred, Fred's interesting to me because it's just his path to SNL uh, is so interesting. He was in bands. He was in a band for, for a while as a drummer, right? Like before, gosh, probably a decade before he even got into acting and comedy. He, he, that was what he did. He was a musician. And then it almost seems like just kind of maybe not out of the blue, but he just sort of decided one day, like, I, I actually kind of want to do acting. Let's see but how I'm going to still do. integrate my musicianship yeah. into it. Worked yeah. out well for him, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. So he, so he like kind of decided, you know, I want to pursue this acting thing. And before you know it, he's on the biggest sketch comedy show in the world. And no, knowing Fred, knowing what we know about Fred, that's kind of not surprising, right? Mm-hmm. And during a really epic era of the show as well, mm-hmm. the company he kept was legendary. Yeah, he was in a great era, uh, 11 seasons for Fred. He started in 2002, uh, his last season, he ended in 2013. So just he, uh, just a great era of SNL. He performed with so many legends. He's a legend himself, but he performed with so many legends. Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Jason Sudeikis, Will Forte, Keenan Thompson, we could go on and on. Uh, he was in, even when he started, it was Rachel Dratch was still in the cast and Chris Parnell and those people. So, so Fred's just worked with so many of the greats. So, so I guess we could get started here. Let's do a little volleying. So I'm curious, Kirsten, what probably sketch or character of Fred's would you like to, uh, bring up first here? I have so many, I think, Oh, do we go right there? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm intrigued. I'm like hedging my. I know. You know what? I'll 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 think out loud here. Okay. My immediate thought was let's dive right into Ian Rubbish because we're talking okay. about music, mm-hmm. and then I thought, wow, that's that's coming in real strong. But why not? I suppose, right? Why yeah, not? Yeah, and that's actually toward the end, uh, which is perfectly fine. But yeah, like that's that's that that you get. We're getting seasoned veteran SNL Fred there uh, with Ian Rubbish. It was the, the history of punk sketch, Ian Rubbish and the Bizarro. So, so yeah, what like sticks out? Why do you want to start there? Wonderful sketch. It, it really ties into what you're just talking about, him being able to bring, you know, his love of music and 
character study and impersonation or character building, I guess, because he's impersonating probably like a, a an amalgamate of like rock stars, I'll call them, um, doing some fun accent work. And he's working with his bestie, Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. So it it really was all of the boxes checked for him in terms of probably dream sketch and dream character to play. And it also launched things like Documentary Now. Like it really was a pivotal moment for him. And at that point in his SNL career, he probably felt very comfortable pitching that and it getting accepted to be on the show, uh, featured on the show, because they knew he'd be able to pull that one off in the way that balanced character but still realism he felt real i mean that's that was the whole fun of it is this documentary now became the mockumentary because it felt like such a real character and what are your feelings on miss thatcher uh i like her a really sweet face willing to make the hard choices uh i respect that i think she's a oh it's the prime minister you're talking about be decent i didn't vote for her oh yeah yeah. Right? Then move, leave. Have another country take you in. Oh, they won't do it. You know why? Because you're a parasite that sucks off the sky. That's no answer. Mate. Come on. Take mate. it easy. No. No, why take it? Take it easy is what put this country into the decline. Off his soapbox. It was in Fred's voice and, and Bill's voice, but a lot of this was in Fred's voice because I think he loves doing the thing where he defies expectations. Like, that's mm-hmm. part of the joke is I'm going to defy expectations And it was a great concept here with Ian Rubbish actually being a supporter of Margaret Thatcher. Yes. (laughs) Margaret Thatcher, of course, a very conservative prime minister uh, around that time uh, in England. And uh, being a punk like Ian Rubbish was supposed to be, you would think that he would be against. But he just lays it on thick about his support for Margaret Thatcher, Maggie. (laughs) Very authentically, and wrote legitimately good yeah. songs. He's classic Ian, you know. I thought he was back, you know. But then I listened to the B-side. We iron lady, I wanna kiss your iron fist. You crushed the Argentinians, you killed a few, they won't be missed. Let's go for a drive. When I'm with you, I feel alive. When we're done, we can privatize our nations in the streets. Very fun. Very fun. And I do love, I mean, let's not forget, you know, Bill Hader and, and Taryn Kalam and, and the others that kind of filled out that, um, the band and all those interviews, the realism of it, I mean, it, it was phenomenally well done. And it, I think it was only a couple times that that character came on and I could have seen them exploiting that a lot more if he stayed on the show longer. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't have been opposed to it. He did it in season thirty-eight. I would have loved if if this would have happened sooner, and maybe uh, maybe they could have done another installment. I know you know SNL. There can sometimes be diminishing returns, mm-hmm. so be careful what you wish for. Um, but I think this is just a great character. And yeah, you mentioned his bandmates, and it was so great. They 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 uh, looked at the camera, and I think they were saying like, "Well, we thought we thought Ian was just being like ironic or whatever when he was talking good about Margaret Thatcher, but he was like genuine about this." It just I, I love it. It's totally in Fred's voice. Yeah, the most punk rock thing ever is to actually like Maggie. Yeah, exactly. So strange and yeah. so awesome. And, and I guess if you think about it, that's like I mean, I can understand the. There's actually might be real logic <laughs> there. That is oh, kind yeah. of punk rock, right? 
That's right. Yeah. Punk rock doing, you know, whatever you think they're not going to do, they're just going to rage against the machine. And in mm -hmm. this case, he took us somewhere we didn't expect to go that unpredictability. That's a great one. You had mentioned probably a precursor to documentary now, which is one of the major projects that Fred uh, did after his SNL tenure was over. I think that's a great first example of what makes Fred Fred on SNL. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I want to go back to another musician. You had alluded to it, but I'm going to go back to more toward the beginning of, of his SNL tenure and talk about Prince. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's something that, you know, Fred, I think so well captured the eccentric spirit of Prince in this, uh, in, in this uh, impression. And did, did it sound like Prince? Like a little bit, like, you know, mannerisms, it kind of did sound like Prince, but just the dialogue and the goofy things that he would say and do, like he captured Prince, or at least a lot of the stories that we heard of Prince. Welcome to my show. My spidey senses are tingling. Please welcome from the new Spider-Man movie, Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Now, Toby, I put this question to you. Have you ever spun a web so complex that you became entangled in the very web you wove? Yeah, that's got to be a really fine balance to strike because he doesn't want to turn him into the joke because they all loved Prince. Like, my Rudolph has a tribute band to Prince. So they loved him and they wanted to kind of honor that love to him but still play into some of those odd things that he does and and he's a bit of a mystery too i mean i don't know that we've seen like does prince always dress like that or did he did he were his pajamas purple satin i don't did he or did he just put on flannel pajamas like and then he wasn't prince i have no idea so there is a lot of mystery around him and they played into that with the whispers and the kind of very strange request go sit on that cupcake go sit on that <laughs> banana uh, robert prince wants you to sit on that snowmobile and look like you're having a good time <laughs> Why the hell not? And also, when you get up there, make some snowmobile noises. You know, like, vroom, vroom. Yeah, well, what else would I do? I'm on a snowmobile. Vroom, vroom. Just, it was just weird yeah. and funny, and it, it played with the imagination that we have of, I don't know, maybe Prince does that. I believe it. Who knows? It's fun. But it yeah. wasn't offensive, and it didn't, it didn't make fun of him. It just had fun with his reputation or the perception we have of him. Yeah, like the exaggerated idea. Yeah. Of Prince, the way he and Maya played off of each other when she was Beyonce, his co-host, the whole aesthetic, like the theme song and the graphics, like it looked totally like 80s, just out of purple rain. Just they they captured it. I, I totally love this. And Prince himself, from from a lot of what I read, especially a lot of things came out after he passed away a few years ago. He was funny. He had a really good sense of humor. Prince did, we, it didn't, seem like. we never would have seen that. Yeah. You know, that's not a side of himself that he exposed publicly. Yeah. Which is a shame. So all we got was what, you know, other people portrayed or what was said about him. So it's fun that they gave him, they leaned into that kind of mystery yeah. and, and quirkiness. Yeah, exactly. Like when I when I heard stories after Prince passed away about how he he was at he played ping pong against Michael Jackson because they were they were both at the same like recording studio and there had been a ping pong table set up and so he challenged Michael Jackson to a ping pong game 
And so they were playing against each other. And then Prince was kind of playing aggressively. He slammed it on Michael Jackson. And Michael kind of like, cow- like kind of cowered away or whatever. And then they, they said that Prince was like celebrating like a rooster. He was kind of like walking around, like celebrating, like he was the victorious one. And I don't know, just... I, I wish, yeah, I wish we would have seen more uh, of the prince that maybe like Fred portrayed, or I think, but Fred yeah. just captured that that spirit and that that image of prince. By the way, that sounds so like a well. Dave Chappelle sketch. It do, it really does, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and from what I know too, D- Prince did like play basketball. He loved basketball, and I think he would like mm-hmm. play basketball and make pancakes and stuff at his house. So I think a lot of that is actually comes from the truth. That's amazing. I think overall, one of my favorite things about Fred Armisen and what he brings is this very subtle observational humor, right? It's the it's the mannerisms and the very subtle ways of interacting with the world that he recognizes in people and can embody and bring to life. Even just the very kind of little smirk that he would make as Prince. It was so subtle. Just, it was so little. He would just move his face just a little bit and it, you're, yeah, that's, that's what I'm picturing. So mm-hmm. it's not over the top and I'm not disparaging Keenan cause I love Keenan, but like his characters are definitely louder and boisterous and, and there are some very, really subtle things that Fred would do that would bring people to life. Yeah, you're right. There's a way that Fred, you could tell he studied just mm-hmm. how people's, what people's eyes did when they, when they acted or felt a certain way. Mm-hmm. I actually have a good example of that. It was one of his Weekend Update characters. It was the deaf comic, Richie B. Yes, yes. Yeah, and and and, and, and I work, uh, I'll say this, I, I work in the deaf and hard of hearing community uh, for my full-time job. So watching him as this deaf comic, one of the first things that I notice was, well, one, he's actually using sign language. Right. Which I appreciate. He's not just doing gibberish. He he's using sign it. language. It looked natural. It looked like he'd been doing it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And that's because I, I get the, I, I don't know, it just watching him sign and stuff, it, it seemed like he had been doing it for a long time. Or maybe he has somebody in his family who's deaf in signs or something. But but he looked like a lot of signers that I've come mm-hmm. across and interacted with. And even the mannerisms of like his his face when he would sign, the way he would mouth things, the way he would kind of voice when he was signing. Mm-hmm. Like, he did a really good job. Like, his mannerisms and how he was signing was, like, pretty darn spot on, honestly. Yeah. And I don't know if people who don't work in the deaf and hard of hearing community or aren't deaf and hard of hearing would notice something like that. But I know I appreciate it. Evidently, you noticed that, too. Yeah, and I, I think of what it could have been in lesser hands and that's when you appreciate it more. Yeah, it seems so natural. Like if if I was learning it, I would I would be slower, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that that was a great sketch and I really enjoyed that. We haven't seen a lot of that. We haven't yeah. seen a lot of that and I think it's you know, it's a delicate subject for people to take on, but it was well done, I think. I think it could have been offensive in in lesser hand. I think yes. but I think Fred yep. just that, that he was seemed so proficient at it mm-hmm. and you could tell maybe he studied how deaf people communicate with each mm-hmm. other and with the world that it felt like he was doing that out of love mm-hmm. and that's what I got out of it and I'm I'm fairly sensitive to things about deaf culture and when I see 
things portrayed about deaf culture out in the world. I'm kind of sensitive as to like, how are they portraying that or where is that coming from? But with Fred's portrayal here is Richie B. I, I get the sense it really uh, does come out of love mm-hmm. for sure. And the premise is great. Like just exploring the comedy <laughs> yep. of it all. Like it's, it's basically Richie B telling racist jokes while his interpreter played by Keenan uh, is sitting there having to interpret for him. And Richie B is like this racist comic and Keenan's like, no man, I'm not going to say that. Oh, uh, what else? Uh, <laughs> Did you hear that Chanel just came out with a new fragrance for black people? (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey. No way. I'm not saying that. That's terrible. So I think the premise in and of itself, like it's done out of love, but the actual premise is really clever. Yes. Do you know what else I I think he does really well in Out of Love, I like that term, is is portray women. There are, some of my favorite characters of his are when he's dressed as a woman. And I don't know, I'm not trying to pick on Keenan, he's just coming to mind. (laughs) But Keenan, Horatio, Sandler... Uh, Sandberg, like when they've all dressed as women, they are, they're, it's a caricature. And when he dresses as a woman, he is every bit that, you know, a Linda Nade or whomever he's dressed as, even the queen, um, which is stretching it a bit. But he, I'll put it this way. He is probably the one person who I think could fit right in on the kids in the hall. Well, I could see that. Because they all did the same. They all did that incredibly well also, where they, they did it out of their love for character and male or female didn't really make a difference. But when they were in female character, they weren't in drag the way where it's an over-exaggerated version of it. It was like, no, she, you know, Linda Nade had this great crocodile purse and she had chapstick in it and she had a nice blouse on and she had her hair done. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. just, stuff your shirt and put on a bunch of pink lipstick. Like there was a lot of dedication there to that character and making them real. It happened to be a woman, but it never felt uh, like, I, I don't want to say drag. I, I don't want to say that in a negative way because I love drag, but it, it didn't ever feel like he was being silly about it. He was doing yeah. it with a lot of respect. It was less, car- it wasn't cartoonish. That's right. Yeah, that's right. and that, that's such a good comparison with the kids in the hall. It got to the point with the kids in the hall where I think a lot of kids in the hall fans even had conversations about like which one's like the hottest woman, right? Out of, right. Out of the four, like which one makes the cutest one woman out right. of the four? As so you could tell, they took time to like use the the eyeshadow and the makeup and the mannerisms. They were developed so right. characters. They weren't yeah. just like, oh, honey. Like there's a really shallow way you can approach a man acting like a woman and go for all the stereotypical mm-hmm. stuff. But no, there was real depth to those characters. Um, yeah, and I Kevin love McDonald. a Linda Nade. Yeah. Yeah. Court stenographer. Oh yes. Right. My lipstick. Can't find my lipstick or chapstick. Can't find my chapstick. Who takes the worst uh, court notes possible on the old typewriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites. And then, you know, can't record things properly, but if you haven't seen that well, one in a while to anyone who's listening, please go 
looked that one up. It was a character that came on in 2010, two different sketches, but some great lines. I can't find my crackers and I need a giggle break and really great lines in that one. He also did like Regine, who's kind of like, I guess yes. like amongst some SNL fans, uh, uh, a little um, either love Regine or, or don't. <laughs> Where are you in that camp? Um, I, I think as far as Fred's characters and sketches go, I'm, I'm, I'm lesser on Regine than his other ones. But I, I, can, I can tell it seems like he knows somebody. Who who's just like that? Ooh. I don't know. Like it comes from like somebody who's real. It seems yeah. like, and then that confirmed it when I when he started doing Portlandia and started doing more characters of maybe that ilk or that realm. I'm like, oh, Those he, different archetypes, yeah, yeah, different archetypes. But he know, I think he knows somebody like that, which is hilarious. Um, I'm a fan of Regine. It got silly where it was breaking other people, and that was kind of fun. I think they all got a kick out of it. I always laughed because it was absurd. I love the one with Christoph Waltz the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Regine was was funny and silly, and I'm a fan. What I've noticed was since we've been talking about this, I'm I'm going through what I went back and watched with Fred and what I remember. And he he's not afraid to delve into edgy comedy, but he's not mean about it. Like right. he 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 can be edgy, but not mean. And that that's something that I appreciate. And I think I think a lot of comics, especially when Fred came up in two thousand two, I don't know, I don't know if you remember twenty years ago how like the Edge Lord comedy started coming up, and uh, it was like it was funny to to just call someone gay, like that yeah, was the joke right, in right. and of itself, and right. all of that. So it was very just mean spirited in a lot of ways. And Fred wasn't that way. Like there was there was some there was like a lot of kindness. Um, when, when or just he was humor. You know what it makes me think of is um, Riley. It's a Sigourney Weaver episode, mm-hmm. and it was Get Ready for Riley. There was a jingle, and it was had to have been written by John Mulaney. And it's where Riley is the the character is the friend of you know another teenage boy, and he's having dinner at this teenage boy's house, and he keeps saying, "You bitch." You bitch. So did you uh, two have a good day at school today? Oh, it was terrible. Well, for starters, I missed the school bus and I had to haul my ass down nine blocks. I mean, can you picture it? Me hoofing it in these galoshes like yesterday's bitch. Um, hey, Riley, you know, I, I'm not sure how you talk in your family, buddy, but we kind of don't use that language in this house. Oh, uh, well, pardon me, Rhonda Rulebook, but I'm me. This is who I am. I'm bald, I'm brash, and you better believe it. And he's saying this to the parents and it's, but it on paper would sound mean, but it's hilarious. Yeah. This Riley character who sounds like, you know, drinks whiskey and smokes cigarettes. Check that one out if you need to refresh your memory too. There's there's some one-offs that were just so absurd. That's and one almost of them. like that Riley. Riley. Yeah, that Riley character, it almost sounds like it's it's just a character that like exhibits behaviors that were learned somewhere. Yes. So yeah. it's not coming from a malicious place from Riley, the character, right. because you, cause you get the sense that it was learned. Yeah. <laughs> like it's beyond their control because they're just mimicking That's something. Right. That's right? right. How about all the digital shorts? Okay. Yeah, I have, I have at least uh, one digital short that to me is just a wonderful encapsulation of Fred, but I want to hear... I've got three, and I think we're going to share one of them for sure. Okay. So 
The light bite one, pardon the fun, is cookies. Uh, this was in 2008, Hugh Laurie, and there are, there's a very serious business meeting happening. This company is going through some tough times and, you know, they're not going to get their bonus, what have you. And there's a plate of cookies on the middle of the table and, and Fred plays just at one of the employees and he's, he can't stop grabbing the cookies. And, you know, someone should arrest his cookie company for cookie side. Um, you know, a lot of ASMR of him just chomping on the cookies. I'm bad. Like, so silly. But we've all seen that person. Again, just mm -hmm. who's that person in the meeting uh, in the end, it turns out that they were um, laxative cookies. Ha ha, funny, funny. But so that's one that I enjoyed. Yeah. The next one is the anger one. So uh, anger problem. This is 2006. This is a fast food restaurant team. Mm -hmm. And he is the manager and he cannot control himself. We all like to work here. We just can't function when you communicate with us like this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Because I was thinking maybe a little bit more like, Brad, seven seconds, I'm grabbing you by the collar, your face is in the deep fry. What? Pete, two seconds, I pull out your eyes, and they're going in the garbage. Why? Jordan, 20 seconds, I'm over there, I'm gonna rip out your jaw. 20 seconds. Tia, half second, my ass is in your mouth. Turn it on in half seconds, and we're all gone. This is beyond a threat, it's a promise. Hey, what's going on with I don't know. Like you guys are my friends. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> this is him. It coming from Fred. Right. Especially. It's not like it's coming from some I don't know. I guess alpha male is a weird. Right. Weird no, yeah, but exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it's yeah. not coming from somebody who, who who I think might be able to play mean. Like that's really right. Well. That's right. <laughs> that's the contrast. But I think the one you're gonna talk about is Da, 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 da. The uh -huh. tangent. The tangent. Yes. Oh Go, please tell me your love for so, it. So I'm just gonna nod. So by the way, angry. I do love that the anger one. Yeah. And I and Fred shows like some pretty good acting chops with like he kind of has a breakdown at the end and cries mm -hmm. and all of that. So that that's a really good one. Uh, the tangent, which was a digital short, season 31, and it's basically Fred playing probably a heightened version of himself <laughs> in, a, in a lot of ways. So he's talking to one of his friends. What are they making lunch plans or doing something? So he starts getting into the story about some restaurant. And so basically it's Fred just going off on a tangent. Arrives Bill Hader. Be it any kind of cereals that have sugars on them, that's an obvious thing to do. Jerry, it's me. Listen, I'm I'm on the street. He's exactly what we're looking for. No, here, I'll put you on with him. Listen, listen. Let's cover up the entire thing. Passports have to change every four years, no matter what. Homemade tennis racket. And this way, if I had my own band-aids, my own bandages, at least I could hide them underneath the sink yeah. so that no one could find them because they're kind of my band-aids. Let's see how he does in front of an audience. No way. She even said to me she was terrified because she didn't think there was a driver on, on the roller coaster. I said, well, that's impossible. There there are no drivers on roller coasters. And then kind of like went back downstairs to find a pretzel. Okay, pretzels are, by the way. Now let's get you in the absolutely movie. Cheap. And as soon as you take apart a glider, there's no way you can really rebuild it. And in fact, that kind of makes you a professional camper. Hi, See, it's Scarlett. sweet, it's so hot, nice it's to meet you. So it's, nice it's to be working with you, guys. You know, they don't have the jurisdiction to even define what a monsoon is. So while Fred's on this tangent, he becomes famous. He's on the cover of magazines. He has his own show. He so he experiences fame and then he that 15 minutes is up and then he becomes not famous and then they've just kind of set him back on the street corner on the sidewalk where he was when the tangent started. And 
Fred's just, I don't just, he has the gift of gab, but it's like measured. He just doesn't seem like he, he doesn't talk just to talk. He he, he speaks in a measured, very measured way. Uh, and this was just like, this, I couldn't see anybody else doing this, but Fred. It's all I wrote was amazing. I love that. I watched it again. And the fact that he had no reaction to Scarlett Johansson too, was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, the, you know, Conan and, and Total Recal Live, or I think it was with Carson Daly, like all these places they put him. Yeah, it was just, he was just in this motion of just repeating the story. It was amazing. It was amazing. Rambling nonsense. Yeah. And we, we know, yeah, we know people like that. So once you get them going, it's just like they, they monologue on you for, for 45 minutes to an hour. And, and yeah, we know that person. And obviously Fred knows that person. Fred knows <laughs> he that might person. be that person sometimes. Well, and I think that it could have inspired the character Nicholas Fane. Oh, this, this, I, I uh, read this uh, on the way to work here. I rode my bicycle up. <laughs> Protesters return in Tehran. This is exactly, the, the reason it's outrageous is that no one, any, any mere assumption that we as a mass are gonna come together to, I, I wouldn't, I think once, <laughs> If we were to examine the motorcycle industry in the Midwest, the first thing people would, the, the reminder, the one alarm clock when it comes to, say, the, the Inuits, the way they treat the sick and elderly, they're not, I wouldn't assume, I wouldn't even guess at how many times, I, I would, if, if one were to design a uniform for tour guides. Okay, I'm sorry. That, uh, this often happens when you come on. I'm starting to get concerned that you don't actually have anything to say. You get on this idea that how much can you talk and say nothing at the same time? And then Nicholas Fane comes along and impeccably delivers multiple words, but says absolutely zero and makes zero sense. But sounds at first smart doing it. You think, okay, this is an articulate person. Hold on, these are just words strung together. Yeah, was that his weekend update? Yes. Character where he yes. would just kind of like have a digression. So he would say a lot and say nothing at all. Exactly. Ultimately, He'd read a yeah. headline and then just ramble forever. So again, playing into that idea of like, we all know this person. Let me turn this up to an 11 and see where it goes. Fred's really good about studying people. Like you brought mm -hmm. that up at the top of the show and it's just so true. Like he's, he's such a good observer of his fellow humans. <laughs> and it really yep. comes through in his comedy. Yep. In fact, I like if I think of the characters that he has played or created that are kind of nothing burgers, really, right? They're, but he's finding all of these very subtle either mannerisms or accents or quirks or things that make these characters who they are, but they're, you know, are they remarkable? Not necessarily. But I, the tangent would be one of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Californians is another, just a guy. We'll get into that. Um, mm -hmm. Nicholas Fane, best friend from growing up. Both of those where, again, just, you know, the very quiet ways that he's acting and delivering lines comedically. Um, who else is in there? Oh, um, uh, Wizard of Oz when he plays the weather vane. So funny. Uh, Parent Trap, when he plays the in the camp cabin scene with Jenna Ortega, he showed up yeah, for a cameo of that. Like, again, these are season, yeah. not people that you would remember, but he's creating so much out of these smaller moments and, I'm using air quotes, basic character descriptions. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm interested in what you think about his part in the Californians. Cause for me, a time where, and this, there's another example of this where Fred kind of stood out amongst the pack in a very famous sketch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought maybe he was the best part of the Californians, but I don't know how you felt about so too. him in that whole dynamic. I think so too. I think Kristen Wiig nailed that funny way of talking, but she would crack up. And mm-hmm. Bill Hader also, but he would crack up. But Fred was the most consistent and wore that stupid wig with the glasses on his head. He is the most memorable. Man, my whole family's coming in from Simi Valley. They're going to take the 118 West to the 23 South, all the way to the Tierra Rojada Road exit. Then they'll be here. But Fred just seemed like the most committed and kind of in the scene. Yeah, And he knew it was ridiculous. It's a ridiculous premise. And it's rooted in something true if you've ever met people from Southern California. And Mm -hmm. they'll admit to you that it's rooted in something true. But Fred was just so committed in the Californian sketch. And he was kind of the rock that held it together. Because if you had every single person breaking, there would be no, like, glue. Then it's just just a Jimmy Horatio sketch? Yeah, right. (laughs) 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 Exactly, yeah. And I think another one that he stood out for for similar reasons is the first Debbie Downer sketch. Oh, gosh. Is that the Lindsay Lohan one? The Lindsay Lohan one. And, of course, it had Horatio, who just Mm -hmm. couldn't keep it together. And for good reason. I mean, I I can't keep it together. I still watch that sketch and can't keep it together. There was, of course, Jimmy Fallon, who couldn't keep it together uh, in that sketch. So Rachel Dratch, of course. And you could tell Fred, if you watch Fred... Go back and watch that sketch and just watch Fred. He even kind of looks at Lindsay Lohan and almost like nudges her like, hey, it's your line. Oh, you know, gosh. like amidst all this chaos, you could see right. Fred looking at everybody like, all right, guys, like we got a scene to do. Get it together. Let's do it. Yeah, get yeah. it together. Even though Fred, I mean, he did break every now and then. But I, I, in that Debbie Downer sketch, he was the one who was trying to like keep it together. And I just love watching him watch his castmates right. during that sketch. People are yelling at us right now because they're like, you you don't remember Garth and Cat and Weekend Update? Like, okay, that's an exception. And that was part of the game of yes. it. Like with Garth and Cat, with he and Kristen uh, doing their yes. thing. That They did it nine times on oh. Weekend Update. Yeah. So I liked Garth and Cat. Uh-huh. How about you? I, I do. I appreciate the uh, the game of what they're doing. Like, I can, yes. I can see how some don't like it, but I appreciate what they're trying to do. And if since you know that it's Fred who's ad-libbing and it's Kristen trying to keep up, I appreciate that fun game. Even if it's like unintelligible nonsense at a certain point, I just like watching them have fun with each other and play with each other. So, yeah. So, how, yeah. How do you feel? You said you like I, I, I think watching them play the game is a really good way to describe it. And it, it's probably beloved by super fans of the show. Hello. And or um, like people that appreciate improv and just, you know, in the moment, what could happen if we do this? Mm-hmm. And how do they challenge themselves to find humor sometimes in what they're doing when you've dissected it to death and rehearsed it and et cetera. So that one felt very real and wild because some of it probably was very much improv if they're just making up jibber jabber. I liked seeing such funny people crack up at times. That was a time when I was waiting for them to crack. Much like Stefan, you're waiting for it to happen. And I don't mind. I think maybe I'm I'm way more forgiving as -hmm. far as things like that. Like with Jimmy Fallon, it kind of got annoying. With Horatio Sands, it 
got annoying at a certain point. I agree. Um, but something about that was different. So with I agree. The, when when Fred would do it, and with when you know when they did Garth and Cat, uh, something about that definitely felt different. And you're right, they were playing an improv game, and you were kind of joining them for this improv game. One nitpick that I would have is I wish Fred would have done more coherent songs to have Kristen try to keep up with. And he, I think he quickly defaulted to like weird voices and weird speech patterns and stuff. But I would like, I would have liked to see him try to drag out a, uh, like a coherent melody that Kristen maybe had to follow along with the words. I don't know, but that's, I mean, that's me nitpicking professionals at at SNL. Right, (laughs) right. You're like live television, make this up. Got it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, trot me out there and see what I'm going to do. <laughs> right, right. There's also been an entire group of characters he does where he is playing into either being, you know, Italian or Mexican or of Latin heritage, like Ferrecito and the Manuel Ortiz show. Yes, yeah, some of these were so fun. Like, the, the first recurring character of his actually was Ferrecito, that mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. That was a hoot. guys barry bonds admitted to using steroids hey barry next time you get roid rage do what i do use preparation h I <laughs> so growing up in the south southwestern united states mm-hmm. kirsten i had we i used to watch univision like i used to watch spanish television growing up yeah and it was just this fetacito character was like a really nice parody of a personality on univision I think he that Fetacito character was like a really nice parody. I could tell yep. Fred watched a lot of like Spanish language television growing up. Amazing. Uh, I think there was even a guy who would like say a punchline and have like a oh, there's a mannerisms and sayings like like Fetacito did like Ay Dios mío, and then he would put his his yeah. chin on his on his knuckles or his fist. Yeah, that was I, I love that. And it's funny that you say that because like I actually did group like um. Those characters, like I, because I thought Fred brought a um, Latino sensibility mm-hmm. to the show. That uh, me as a Latino SNL fan, growing up, I didn't really see a lot. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like I would see Phil Hartman playing like a Latino dad or whatever right. on the show. That's just kind of what. So when somebody like, um, I mean, to a certain extent, Horatio Sands brought that a little bit when he started. Um, but but I it's think more f- Melissa. Via Senor. Yeah, and, it's like yeah. current, like nowadays, like Melissa Via Senor, Marcelo Hernandez. Yep, yep. It's really great to see him. But Fred, to me, was like opened up more of the floodgates and not, they weren't even like big floodgates, but like Fred just made that, he did more of that than I think anybody else. Yeah, he you brought mentioned. that representation to the screen. Yeah, his mom was Venezuelan and mm-hmm. he had, so he had like a Latino background. So you mentioned Fetecito. Um, he had the Besos y la, uh, Lagrimas. Uh, show the 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 heightened soap opera yes. that they would do kisses and tears festivals <laughs> yep. like rimas they would have the la policia mexican yes um, and maybe the stupidest kirsten the dumbest thing in that area of snl that i got a kick out of was the manuel ortiz show oh yeah and that's like a guilty pleasure of mine it's so dumb i know it's dumb 
But whenever a guest comes on and they do the dancing to the song. I get a kick out of it. What could I say? I I agree. This was that was a, an entire genre of characters that I really enjoyed seeing him play. You know, hosting these kind of variety shows and mm-hmm. um, or being in these very melodramatic television shows and commanding the stage and like owning these characters again in a lovable way, right? Like these are you know you you I could recognize in his character a composite of people who've done this and and he celebrated them in a nice way. I'll tell you which character I got a real kick out of that was not, I don't think realistic, was Queen Elizabeth, where we now see a little bit of Ian Rubbish in The Queen. You know, really kind of punk, got this Cockney accent and trash-talking people, very full of decorum, and then as soon as the door closes, lets it rip. We wanted you to be the first to know that we are to be wed. (laughs) Catherine, we welcome you to our family with open arms and open hearts. Thank you. I love your grandson very much, and I'm honoured to join the Windsor family, Your Majesty. Beg your pardon, Prince William. Telephone call for you. Ah, well, I'll only be a moment. Do chat until I return. Your Majesties, William and I have been walking on air. It's all so brilliant and exciting. Shut up. I'll say, shut your mouth. <laughs> when that first happened, again, working with Bill Hader as, as, um, as the king. King? I don't even, I, I should know. I'm Canadian. No. I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't Her husband. royals. Yeah. I think, I think he was a prince. I think he was just a prince. Yeah, I think he was prince. You're right. Yeah. Um, but when the, you know, the first, so we see them and we're like, oh, they're doing the queen and such. And then that door closes and they both start trash talking with that accent and the legs open and like there's nothing queenly about the performance. That was a very memorable one for me, which mm-hmm. I think probably stemmed out of, yeah, what if the queen was really like this? Again, going back to that Prince thing, what if, you know, when the door closes, she's just swearing? Yeah, yeah. And kind Who of like knows? the Ian Rubbish thing. Like what if he was yeah. a Margaret Thatcher supporter? Like it's like that, that unexpected, kind of that yeah. turnabout unexpected kind of thing that I know seemed like that was within Fred's type of humor you know that that did that reminded me his depiction of the queen reminded me of like Phil Hartman's depiction of Ronald Reagan who was like behind the scenes like this mastermind fast talking pulling the strings and out in public he was just more so like the the doting kind of grandfather absent-minded so that yeah that was playing the role I really do like that whole what if what if this person was like this? And it seems like a, a bit of a theme, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a nice pull there <laughs> uh, yeah. with the queen for sure. There was another one that I really love that that played up the the musical side of him. Mm-hmm. And this was when Ashton Kutcher hosted the show. Dave Grohl makes an appearance in this mm-hmm. sketch. It's the Crisis of Conformity <laughs> sketch in season 35. So... Uh, so you're familiar with this one? Oh, yes. Again, could be songs on the radio back in the day. Uh, Dave Grohl makes a great prostate joke. <laughs> yes. They trash that place. 
It was amazing. It was, yeah. and you you knew going into it, or you had an idea because we know Fred and know that you know this Ian Rubbish character lives within him. That getting up to play with the band after all these decades at his daughter's wedding, you know, while he's introducing the notion of wanting to you know play a lovely song for her on her big day, and then they just start thrashing and trashing. All right, let's do this. Uh, Madeline, my little Maddie, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I hope Dad doesn't make too much of a fool of himself up here. All right, it's with all my love. You guys ready? Here we go. One, two, three, four. I think we knew it was going to go there, but it was still amazing to see them do it. Yeah. And legit knock over tables, smash bottles, both Keenan and I think Bobby, um, Moynihan. Bobby both get a, a tray full of drinks kicked uh-huh. in the air. Yeah. It was fun. Fred dives into a cake. He does dive into the cake. That was like the cake. most physical I've seen. I can remember seeing Fred like in a sketch. He's right. not Chevy Chase. He's not like as far no. as the physical comedy goes and Pratt falls and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but that was the one time where Fred just like dove into that wedding cake. Yeah. At the end, like embracing the punk spirit. The song that they were performing is called Fist Fight in the Parking Lot, yep. I believe. <laughs> just perfect. I guess my mind's all messed up. But isn't that a result of going to your schools, being a part of your system and following your orders? No, maybe I should put on my suit and my tie and eat a happy meal. And a white ticket back. I have a better idea. How about I kick the winners in with my boots? You hear that, Alexander Hayes? Get all that at me. There's gonna be a... One, two, three, four, fist on. What's funny is all the other characters, like, I couldn't decide, and I they kept cutting to, you know, the bride, and she looked shocked a little bit, but at the end she was smiling, which yeah. I think was nicer, right? Which was, oh, that's yeah. my dad. Um, I think all it would have been obvious if everyone it. was pissed. Like, Nassim Pedrad played the, the mom of the bride, and she was pissed at the beginning, but at the end right. she stood up and, like, clapped, and Sudeikis was into it the whole time as, yeah. the, dad, as the dad. Yeah. I couldn't tell. Obviously, Dave Grohl was playing. Yeah, he was playing live, right? He was playing the drums. He was playing live. Bill Hader, I feel like he was maybe playing bass, but I don't think Ashton was playing guitar. So I was wondering how they did it. I'm sure someone can comment. Yeah, I would like to. Um, maybe I'll try to get a hold of Fred and ask him. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, please. Or <laughs> See, just text Ashton. Do you like, remember that time? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's the one question I want to ask you. Exactly. Since I have your attention now. Out of all of the things, here we go. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was just brought out. That's just Fred's like punk spirit, his his uh, his love of, of music. He has a whole, like I've, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole and I looked at, I saw, I've watched Fred. He has these jokes like uh, music jokes. 
Mm-hmm. So he's like, he'll use it, uh, jokes that, but only like that drummers would understand. Right. Or he'll do impressions. Very of, niche audience. Very niche audience. He'll do d- impressions of uh, different punk styles from like the different eras of punk. Mm-hmm. And those are just great. Like music, like Fred can't keep his music bone separate a, a lot of times from his comedic bone. Like a lot right. of times they're one and the same. And I love that. Yeah. And validating what a study that is to find the nuances. If you've watched his... He has a, a special and he goes through accents of almost every state. And it's actually a great peek into his brain as you watch him dissect the differences with intonation and, and such. And a little look under the hood as to how he starts to break those things down. Yeah, and how he observes music, like how he mm-hmm. just like so acutely observed like the how 70s punk, the little nuances, and then he can go into like the new wave punk and those nuances. That's how mm-hmm. he observes people too. Yeah. He's, it just seems like he views the world uh, very acutely and observational. And that's that's an introvert's trait. And mm-hmm. that's a trait that, that I have, maybe not to that creative extent, absolutely right. not to that creative extent <laughs> of Fred Harmazin. Uh, but that's something that I could relate to with Fred is just kind of like studying people and studying mannerisms and studying just like, just kind of little things like that. That's something that I, I always appreciate about yeah. Fred Armisen. Hey, speaking of like language and, and really diving into a moment that it seems so random. Do you remember Norwegian actors playhouse? I this is Don't. 2009. Okay. It is Ryan Reynolds as host. It is Fred and Bill, of course, and they are playing um, investigators in the typical, you know, the interrogation room. They're Norwegian actors, and they have tried to. They're not using subtitles, so they're they've learned almost phonetically the English. You think I don't know what it's like? I grew up in the streets of Times Square, man. We all had to mug each other. Everywhere we looked was pollution. But I became a tough cop with a cigarette. And they're trying to sound American. Again, it's an entire sketch and it's amazing. It's watching a a group of people that the premise being they they don't speak English, but this is what Americans sound like. Okay. Yeah. Do a rewatch on this Norwegian actors playhouse. Okay. And that, that seems to fall in line with like Fred being able to observe mm-hmm. how people behave and mannerisms and things like that. That's, That's right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Do you have anything else like SNL related as far as, as far as anything that stood out that, that, that people would be mad at us for, for not bringing up? I have two. I have okay. one that, no one will necessarily care that I brought up because it's super random. Well, not no one, but few people. It's the Tommy Palmisi one-man show. Okay, I do remember this one. Yeah. yeah. Tommy Palmisi in half Jewish, half Italian, completely neurotic. Hey, God. It's me, little Tommy Palmisi from 81st Street. If I'm half Jewish and half Catholic, where do I go when I die? By the time I was 15, I knew three things to be true. <laughs> Number one, Christy Brinkley was never going to go out with me. <laughs> Tommy Palmisi tells his life story through characters in a show that can only be described as four hours. Again, it's such a specific person 
or character that he's depicting someone who thinks that an entire Broadway show is worth being told about their life and it's so mundane. Uh, I remember one of the, you know, the fake taglines is, in a show that can only be described as four hours. <laughs> um, just nails the kind of narcissistic egoism of, of, of that type of person. So that's my random shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's, um, there's one that is a, a rare gem and it's hard to find. And that would be Frondi. Yeah. Frondi from season 29. Um, he was still a featured player at this point and it's going all the way back to 2004. And at first, when I rewatched, I thought, oh, is this in poor taste? But it's, there's, a, there's an intelligence to it and the fact that everyone, all these people in Hollywood think this movie, all these people bet millions. And it really, you know, Sometimes it's just the average person who's like, "Really? That's how that? That's how Hollywood works?" Yeah, and it's yeah. taking the piss out of the Gigli. I don't even know how to say G- it. I think it's Gigli. Gigli. G silent. That's part know. of the point too. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Is, like, the, so I guess as somebody who's read uh, Gigli's Wikipedia page, I oh, can yeah. tell you that there's there's a scene like the part of the plot revolves around somebody with an intellectual disability mm-hmm. who I think, yeah. And so I think there's a scene where Ben Affleck's character goes and talks to them at wherever they're staying. And in this sketch, Fred plays a background actor with an mm-hmm. intellectual disability, but it turns out that he's the most wise person in the whole sketch. He's, he's telling Ben Affleck that, that the movie's not going to do well. And he has specific reasons oh, why holes. the movie's not going to do well. Ben. Ben. Yeah, Frondi. I don't think this movie's gonna work. What? Well, the script has a lot of holes in it. That's not a very nice thing to say, Frondi. And it's got logic problems, and it's and it's too talky. Well, that's your opinion. And I could tell Fred's doing this out of love, too. He's yeah, not, yeah. like, the joke isn't, like, laugh at making this person. Fun with of, the, yeah. the, 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 it's making fun It's taking the piss out of Ben Affleck and his movie. And the fact honestly. that Hollywood spent a bajillion dollars around the Benefer, you know, institution, right? right? And that everyone thought this was the horse to bet on. Right. So I have not seen that movie. Me either. Are you sure that you didn't read the Wikipedia? You didn't see the movie? I read the Wikipedia. All I, have, right. I haven't seen. And I would. Like, I would tell you because I watched from Justin to Kelly because Ooh. I heard that it was bad. So I wanted my friends and I one night just wanted to watch like the worst movie ever made. And so we decided to watch from Justin to Kelly. Ooh. But Geely would have been on that list, too. We, we, sh- we should watch it. it. Um. I have not seen it, and nor have I read the wiki, so I did not know that there was a character and they were taking a scene from that movie. Um, but uh, the premise still worked for me. It's just I think how Fred portrays sensitive material and sensitive characters like that. I also, mean, you know, it, the second joke in there was that that's a background extra for sure. Mm-hmm. Just can't not interrupt the scene and can't figure out what's happening, so just keeps staring at the camera right down, yeah. the, right down the lens <laughs> exactly. and talking to the actors. That was a great reference. That was Frondi. That was season 29. That's when Ben Affleck uh, hosted. So uh, after SNL, Fred, quite successful. Um, his main, his main uh, projects were Portlandia, which 
I'm sure both you and I just love Portlandia. Mm-hmm. He and Carrie Brownstein. Wonderful. 2011 through 2018. Um, Big Mouth. He's Fred's been on 51 episodes uh, of Big Mouth, which is yeah. hilarious, inappropriate cartoon on, <laughs> on yeah. Netflix. Uh, documentary Now, which we've talked about earlier. Um, also The Band Leader on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Mm-hmm. And he's popped up, Kirsten, in so many things. Like everything funny, it seems like Fred's made a guest appearance in. Yes. Always a delightful surprise when a character he's playing shows up on screen. Yeah, yeah. So so he's appeared. I mean, when he was on SNL, he appeared on Parks and Recreation and crushed it. He's been on like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Modern Family, New Girl, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the new season of Kids in the Hall. Fred made an appearance in that. Barry, he just randomly showed up in one scene in Barry this past season. How about Last Man on Earth when he was a cannibal? Last Man on Earth, yes. Yeah, I just kind of, uh, I think I'm on at the end of season three uh, in Last Man on Earth. Did but I just I have, ruin something I, for I you? I have seen Fred's, um, I have seen his appearance. Yeah, I have seen his okay. in that. So that spoiler, was spoiler alert. No, I knew Fred was in it. <laughs> I, 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 I checked that out. Um, but yeah, no, he's, Fred just pops up in everything. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's always a delight. Yep. All right. So, Kirsten, give me a pitch, the final okay. pitch. Sum it up for why you think Fred Armisen should be considered for the SNL Hall of Fame. Well, if everything we've said has not convinced someone, I would be surprised. But I will summarize. Fred Armisen absolutely deserves to be and should be in the Hall of Fame for a few very key reasons. Number one is the dedication to craft. It is evident in the depth that he brings to the characters and the performances, whether it's mimicking accents or you know, embodying those really distinct mannerisms and, and finding this wide range and diverse range of personalities and archetypes to pull from. This commitment that you've heard us talk about, really shows off his acting prowess, but his genuine passion for just making each character really memorable and authentic. So dedication to craft, number one. Number two, I think, is his love of offbeat characters. So I think it's really a signature approach of his to portray kind of eccentric people and take ordinary situations and turn them into real comedic gold by uncovering these idiocentric, oh my gosh, traits and behaviors. There we go. And they, whether they have those distinct accents and kind of worldviews, you know, just through his performance and through his observation, he's bringing those things to life. It's, it's injected still with like a, some satire and some social commentary that really make it a broader and, and more evergreen style of comedy you enjoy. All of this stuff that we're referencing is from the early 2000s. And I would say, for, correct me if I'm wrong, it was really all done in, in, in good taste. You talked about that era of, you know, really poor taste comedy. And he doesn't have too much to be embarrassed about, which is impressive. Um, deadpan delivery, a real cornerstone of his. You know, a knack for delivering lines and, and reacting to things with a straight face. We've talked about some pretty absurd and ridiculous situations, but... His ability to kind of juxtapose this real serious demeanor and this comedic content is a really interesting comedic tension that I think enhances the humor 
And then lastly, it's, you know, how multi-talented do you have to be? You know, you're an actor, you're a comedian, you're a writer, you're a musician, you're a performer, you're a performer. And, and I think that all of these reasons really, for me, make it painfully obvious that he absolutely needs to be in this Hall of Fame. He can't not make it, or I don't know what I'll do. I'll, I'll stage a protest. There you go. Thank you so much, Kirsten and Thomas. Uh, what a conversation. What a performer. What an SNL cast member. Fred Armisen. Yeah, I can get behind this. I can totally get behind this. Great job, Kirsten. Let's go right to the nitty gritty here. Uh, you don't have to listen to me talk uh, any longer. <laughs> We're going to go to, uh, an update piece, uh, a tremendous update piece by Mr. Armisen. And, uh, it is one of his, one of his characters. I don't know if this character is divisive or if it's somebody that's, a, that it's a grower, because for me, it was a grower. But if you had asked me the first couple times I listened, I would have said, no, I didn't. I didn't, or watched rather, I, I, I didn't necessarily love it. Like it was, it was too loose. Uh, and in fact, Thomas points out that um, the bits were often improvised. And uh, that just shows such a commitment to this character. And, you know, for Lauren to let somebody on a written show go up and do something off page is, is, is a pretty big deal. So this is uh, Nicholas Fane. This is from Weekend Update, of course, on SNL. Check it out, Nicholas Fane. Here now with his own satiric take on the week's top stories, political comedian Nicholas Fane. Hi. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. For those of you who aren't familiar with my work, uh, what I do is I um, read headlines from today's newspapers, and I provide my own sort of skewed view just off the top of my head. So. So let's get to it. Great. All right. So, oh, this is great. Oh, I love this. I was laughing so hard. Uh, this is from uh, the Wall Street Journal. And uh, labor market gains traction. Yeah, there's no way. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, this is classic. Uh, the, uh, the Washington Post, this was great, right on the front page. Federal workers' pay could bump up 0.5%. <laughs> and, ah, uh, I thought of you guys. I was on my way here, and, and uh, you're going to love this or hate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, New York Times, the great New York Times, uh, tweak in rule to ease a path to green card. Now, there, this is exactly the moment that we, if, if I were to take a poll, and I don't mean any poll, I don't mean the kind of poll, I mean, I would never be the first person, I, I don't think anyone, as long as, 
any poll taker, there's, if I were to take, I, I, uh, I had met an, an infant and super nice. And even if every citizen decided to, you know, spray paint Charlie Chaplin's name on, on, on every high school or do a caricature or, or uh, however tactile, there's not, I, listen, I would be the first, I would be the second. I don't think, I don't think in any line of people, look, society, before, before we even launch into that, absolutely, across the board, petroleum. All right, you know what, I'm sorry, I am worried, here's what I'm worried about, that this isn't going anywhere. Seth, That's I, what I'm I worried mean, about. I, I, you know, I don't know what I have to bring. <laughs> you, the problem with you, and I, and I love you, and I know you, oh, Me. and, oh, someone saw you. Uh, Somebody saw, I forgot who saw, but someone saw you recently. Uh, Mark. All right. Um, the, the, problem, the, the, the problem with you, and I don't mean anything personal, uh, with your personality, and I love you, and this is not a criticism by any means. This is, not even, this is not even a statement. It's not even, it doesn't even, will never come across as anything. Hold on, hang on. Uh, it, uh, uh, sarcastic or ironic or even any kind of statement against you, even in the, in, in, in the, in the lightest part of day, you... Seth, and, and we all agree, and we all, and we all agree. I know we all agree on um, the problem. The problem with, hear me out, with your personality in any situation, in any given situation, and as great as you are, Seth, I salute you and bow down. I'll, I'll, I, will, I will detail your car. Um, and, no matter, and no matter how much and how pleasant and how much you try, and I know that you try, and I know that you do your very best, and, I, and, and we see even behind that, that that you think before any of that even comes to fruition. And I'm not, listen man, I, there's no way, if you, if you sat with me anywhere. All right, enough. Uh, Nicholas Payne, everybody. Again. That was great. That was just great. Uh, I relate to Nicholas Fane uh, sometimes when I'm recording these interstitials. I, I just tend to go off on a tangent and end up editing things way down. Who knows? Maybe I should be keeping it in. Uh, I, I, I don't know. But uh, a great character and a great performer, a fantastic cast member, and now a nominee for the SNL Hall of Fame. When voting opens uh, in the middle of December, you will have a chance to enshrine him for perpetuity into the hall. And that's very exciting. On behalf of Matt Ardill and Thomas Senna, I want to thank our guest, Kirsten Turnbull, once again for joining us and delighting us. It's just been fantastic. So with that, I ask you a favor as you're walking out as you walk past the Weekend Update exhibit, there's a light switch on the wall. Turn it off, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.
Libra. Podcasts and such. <laughs>